Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 We're of the, in the Brain double digits. Podcast. Double digits! Absolutely wild. Did you ever think we'd make it this far? Uh, you know, I did. I did too. Because I'm very <laughs> confident that we're able to stick to something for more than 10 episodes. However, it's still a milestone that I'm very proud of. It doesn't. It takes a lot of concerted effort to get to oh, ten episodes. The big one zero. The big one zero. But yeah, what are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about the neighborly concept of interacting with the people in front of you. It's called being present. That's yes. the short term. Yes. How to be present. What yes. is that like? Yeah. So, I think I think in the simplest of terms, it is talking with your barber yeah that, that's kind of the scene you see in like the old tv shows and movies is there's always a scene where they're like oh yeah they know their barber really well they walk mm-hmm. in andy griffith shows what comes to mind for me but like mm-hmm. you walk in you know the barber you talk about your life and he talks yeah it's great it, it's a real it's a very interesting phenomenon mm-hmm. i i actually got a haircut uh yesterday and i've been thinking a lot more about the whole topic of communication that we talked about a couple episodes ago and uh, just interacting well with the the people that are in front of me. And a while ago, it would not have come naturally to me, and it still doesn't really come naturally to me to engage the people that are directly in front of me in conversation. <laughs> and I've had a, a couple experiences that I've been really grateful for of just being able to observe people who do that really well. And kind of learn from them. And I think that one of the things that I've been learning is a lot of the the communication that people enjoy, a lot of the the conversations that your barber is going to engage in and and enjoy having are when you are asking insightful Sean Evans style questions. I think we talked about that a little bit in the last, the last episode about communication, but it's, it kind of hit me in a new way because I was thinking, man, I'm sitting in a chair for 20, 30 minutes, however long it is. And I've got so much conversational potential and so little that I know about the guy that is working on my hair. (laughs) And I think that it's, I think that it is meaningful to just talk with the people that that are around us that I think that it can demonstrate that we really do care if we really do care. And I think that that is generally appreciated among people. I think so. It, the the places that I always think of, oh, I should talk with this person, is um, cashiers mm-hmm. at like convenience stores uh, and whatever, and barbers, as well as if you're sitting next to someone on a bus or whatever, taking a long trip, mm-hmm. your your partner next to you on a flight if you're flying by yourself or whatever. It's always important, even as a back pocket skill, to be able to strike up conversation about things. And the key that I have found in doing this is you really need to be able to hone in on what they care about Mm -hmm. because people enjoy talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so the more you can ask them questions that they're excited to answer, the more exciting and involved conversation you're going to have. Because most people, not all people, but most people are going to be generally reciprocating with those questions and not only ask you sort of similarly veined insightful questions but also be interested in your response because you were interested in their response Mm -hmm. and so it's a really exciting realm of being able to not only get to know the people around you a little bit better but it also passes the time really well on long trips yeah 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> maybe maybe talk to your <laughs> talk to your passenger on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, but that would be a much more controversial uh, title, as well as talk with your Uber passengers. <laughs> if if you're the pilot of the airplane, respectfully, please fly the airplane. Do not talk to me. Um, but do you do you want your airplane companion to engage you in conversation? <laughs> Not, it, not the pilot, but the person sitting next to you. It depends. Uh, I've found recently with flying, it's gotten a lot more hard. Mm-hmm. Not only because uh, last time I was flying was through mask mandates, so you couldn't hear mm-hmm. for the life of you anything anyone was saying, but also you couldn't see their face. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't get any of that normal facial feature feedback that you get from knowing whether or not somebody, somebody's excited or annoyed or any of that because it's all covered up. But um, I, I think most airports have dropped that now, if not all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the thing that I've found is half the time people are just on their phone reading, writing, doing mm-hmm. whatever, uh, doing work. And for that, eh, I generally don't talk to them. But for certain people, like if we're sitting down at the same time, there's some natural points of interaction that happen, either putting luggage away or scooting past somebody, that can spark that conversation. I think one of the best conversations I had on the airplane was um, I was sitting by myself whole family was traveling but we didn't get seats near each other and i was sitting next to this one lady lovely lady from sweden and another guy from uh i think it was idaho Mm -hmm. and this dude i was just talking with him i was uh basically he was like oh why are you flying and i'm like okay yeah i'm going out to visit my grandma why are you flying and that's how the whole thing started and Mm -hmm. he was going well i'm going to visit one of my ski slopes that i run because i run like three of them and he goes (laughs) like and i just kept asking him questions about well what's that like how do you run these things and i learned a lot about the logistics of running a ski resort from this dude Mm -hmm. and it was funny because the previous flight i was also sitting next to a logistics manager for a trucking company Hmm. who was talking about like supply lines and all of that and i i had the link of like oh I was just talking to the people who truck you your stuff. (laughs) Um, And then the lady from Sweden was talking about how different it is with the ski slopes in Sweden because Mm. they have bigger mountains. They don't have to manufacture like locations and stuff, but because everything's steep and really packed together, the, the way they do it was much different. So it was just that simple like click of why are you flying? What are you traveling Mm -hmm. for? That really got this huge ball rolling. And I learned a ton from it from people who do that for a living. So it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love I love it when people ask me questions like that, and I think that one of my <laughs> at work whenever there's something that happens that uh, the other guys see that can be improved on, they always say training moment. So <laughs> for myself, <laughs> training moment. Uh, I think that what really I should do is instead of assuming that people just would not be engaged with the conversation that I would love to have assume that they might be. And I think that what really gets the bad rep, you know, you always hear about, oh, Uber driver didn't shut up. I rate the Uber driver five stars if he doesn't say any words. Uh, I think that where that comes from is when there is a conversation that is attempted but not reciprocated. Um, I think that there's a different kind of question. It's good to ask questions that people are excited to answer. But I think, and I wonder, I wonder, this is the next question. What what differentiates the kinds of conversation that feel kind of like an interrogation versus kinds of conversation that feel exciting? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple factors. So generally, um, 
it's not always easy to tell, but you can generally tell pretty quick who wants to be left alone and who's excited to talk. Mm-hmm. And that's the big one, especially with introversion and extroversion as factors, is you can run into situations where you're talking to a person and they're being nice by responding, but they do not want to be talking to you. Mm-hmm. And so generally you get these short one word answers, either as an intentional shutdown or you're talking to somebody who's just socially awkward and doesn't really know how to do that level of conversation well. And for me, there's two approaches. If I know the person... Mm-hmm. And I know, like, the factors involved. I will try and kind of pull a little bit, either at the social awkwardness of being like, okay, I'm going to show you how this works um, and, and treat it like a training moment, mm-hmm. almost, where, like, this is how you handle these sorts of conversations. This is what you do when somebody's doing this to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's how you can or can't be engaged, and here's the nice, nice ways to reciprocate or say mm-hmm. I'm not interested. Um, if I know the person, if I don't know the person, generally, if they're giving me like one word responses, I'll do two to three questions mm-hmm. and then I'll just shut up and uh-huh. look at my phone or, or whatever. Cause obviously they just don't want to continue things on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, those are the two sort of modes I approach it with, but there, there's so many factors involved. Um, but what I know is that there are a lot of people mm-hmm. who will intentionally, sit down and look at their phone even if they're not doing anything on their phone so that <laughs> start people... taking numbers into the calculator yeah, exactly <laughs> so that people d- think they're doing something and don't want to interrupt them uh-huh. and that that is kind of my telltale sign of like okay they want to they want to be left alone it, now it depends on what they're doing on their phone but if you see that they're basically doing nothing they're actively avoiding conversation mm-hmm. um so it, it's that sort of thing one faux pas I have never done this, but I saw... Mm. Yeah, it's a fun word. (laughs) I have seen someone do this. Never walk up to a stranger and ask them these questions. Do you have any games on your phone? Do not do that. Bad idea. Why? Because if they do, they don't want to hand you their phone because you're a stranger. And they definitely don't want to hand you their phone unlocked for an unknown amount of time. And the other thing to ask, to to not ask, is um, (laughs) uh, things associated with whether or not their cards are associated with their phone, which I have seen once, and that was like, bro, what are you doing? And <laughs> Wait, what what kinds of groups are you hanging like, out where you get do you to see ha- this? <laughs> this is all like bus conversation stuff that I've seen people do. Okay. You find all sorts of humanity on buses and airplanes. <laughs> um, but don't ask them those types of things. Basically, don't probe into the types of like information they keep on them because mm-hmm. it seems like you're just trying to get information and you don't really care about them. Don't use an object unless it's like a brand as a conversation starter because it seems like you're more interested in that object than you are them. Um, now, brands are an exception, like Louis Vuitton or Supreme, because brands are kind of meant to be that conversational starting piece. So mm-hmm. th- those are kind of an exception. But if you're asking like, oh, why did you get an iPhone? It can get it can get a little <laughs> dicey depending on how you phrase it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I've been on the receiving end of some of those conversations that feel a little bit interrogating <laughs> yeah and it's like dude you're just asking me a string of questions like you don't care about what i'm saying at all but at the same time i have been asked strings of questions that are clearly strings of questions but it's like okay you know i i at least have an appreciation for it like i i think about conversations that i've been in that 
feel like I'm being salesed, you know, <laughs> like it, it feels like somebody's trying to sell me something in the way that they're asking me questions. But at the same time, I, I do have a level of respect for it because I feel like I'm really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to engage someone in a short, but you know, somewhat meaningful conversation about nothing when I have little to no context for them. That's, that's what I want to be able to do more of. That's the whole concept behind talk to your barber, but I want to do it in a way that represents care. Uh, and I think that that is also something that people can inherently kind of sense depending on how you carry yourself and the kinds of questions that you ask. I was having a conversation with a group of friends last night that are really awesome. And, uh, Ashley, I don't know if she's listening. Maybe if you're listening, hello, Ashley. But, uh, one of the questions that one of the points to this whole topic that she brought up was the kinds of questions that you ask really, really determine the level of care or they, they help to, ah, that, that's not the best way to word it. They help to communicate, uh, a level of care from you to the person that you're asking the question. So she was working at her job and someone walked up and asked her, Hey, how is your day going today? Instead of, hey, how are you? You know, because you, you get you get asked the question, how are you? Good, how are you? And then you move on with life and everything. But I think that that whole, how's your day going today? I mean, when, when people ask me that question, I'm like, oh. You know, and I start thinking through my day. It's been good. It's been a little bit busy, you know, but I'm knocking some stuff out this afternoon. And I think that that, that engages a level of conversation where I feel like reciprocation and engagement and care is all more evident and and it just makes sense i feel like asking a good question to begin it all sets the conversation off on a good tone and i think that's a, a very insightful that's that's what i want to start implementing in myself training moment for me again <laughs> when i when i go up to the guy and order coffee or when i go across the street to benny's one of the best pizza places ever and order my pizza and talk with the people that i've talked with a million times but still don't know their names Instead of saying, hey, how's it going? Or how you doing? I can ask, how's your day been going today? And I feel like that's, you know, not everybody's going to reciprocate, but I feel like that's a, a better kind of question in order to engage people in a conversation that they want to have. Yes, I absolutely agree. That is amazing. The biggest thing that I've sort of seen with, with uh, knowing this and uh, having a little bit of like, I've gone to conferences, uh, sales conferences, where people kind of talk you through this type of conversational stuff, is you actually need to listen to what they're saying because sometimes you can get trapped in this mindset where you're just thinking of the next question and all you're hearing is the Charlie, Charlie Brown teacher while they're answering <laughs> the last question. Mm -hmm. And you have no context or at all when you zone back into the conversation as to what they just answered. And so it, it is important when you ask a question to actually listen to the response to the question mm -hmm. and then ask another question instead of going, okay, I've asked this question. Okay, what should I ask next? Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Oh, what was that? Like that sort of, that sort of thing, getting trapped in your own head and figuring out how to keep a conversation going shuts it down really quickly if you miss something they just said because it means you weren't paying attention to them and talking about levels of care it shows an immense sort of lack of attention and a lack of care towards that person's response if you aren't actually listening to what they they're saying mm -hmm. one of the best continuing questions or follow-up questions i was ever told to ask 
was Tell Me More About That. I do like that one. That one is great because not only does it allow you to continue off a really good question, but it also shows that you are interested in the person's response by asking them to deepen their answer. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, they will absolutely love talking more about their profession or their hobbies or whatever. And if you're saying, tell me more about that, you're not only symbolizing a level of care about the topic and them within the topic, you're also showing them a level of care within the conversation because you're legitimately interested Mm -hmm. in continuing that topic that they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of the best ways to not only keep a conversation going, but actually remain engaged in that conversation because you have to hear the answer to ask another question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love that question so much. And I think that one of the ways that I use it a lot is when I don't understand what they said. <laughs> but but something that they've said has made me kind of perk up my ears and go, hmm, you know? And and inst- I think that most of the time, especially when people say something that we might disagree with just initially right off the bat or that we find offensive, whatever it is, that whole tell me more about that instead of going down the road of let me just plow through the way that I've interpreted that and base my whole conversation off this flawed interpretation, it allows them to flesh out what they're actually trying to say. And I think offers some insightful uh, things to discuss and talk about because whatever people say, it comes from a point of truth in their personal experience. And so I think that learning more about the truth of their perception (laughs) whether it's based in reality or not is a is a key part to engaging in a conversation that you do want to have yeah there's there's so many ways to communicate and there's so many ways to miscommunicate Mm -hmm. and it's really easy especially with like knee-jerk reactions or offensive things to just say what you think immediately Mm -hmm. and it is a really important step to not only understand this person somehow thinks they're right even if you think they're objectively wrong And also understand that this person is somewhat trusting you with a level of information by giving you their opinion in the first place. Mm -hmm. Meaning it shouldn't be just discarded. Because even if they're a complete idiot, they can still know something you don't. And so you should listen to what they have to say for that one little tiny bit that might actually be insightful within whatever garbage. Um, And so I think it's important to still listen to the bad ideas, knowing that they're potentially bad ideas, Mm -hmm. and uh, weed through things with somebody. Because at the end of the day, if you can navigate that properly with the other person, you will either exact a meaningful change in your own opinion because you've actually confronted it on the topic, or you have the potential of exacting a change in their opinion because you've made them think deeper about the topic. Mm -hmm. and that's how actual like progress gets made in terms of helping people think about things differently because you can't antagonistically tell somebody they're wrong mm-hmm. and expect them to suddenly be the immensely mature person it takes to actually accept that as feedback because if you're responding angrily to something you're automatically changing the conversation over from a conversation of exploration to a conversation that is just defensive on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to keep your cool in those types of things, but also to explore their opinion to understand either where your misapprehension is coming from, if it's miscommunication, or to understand better where they're coming from with their opinion in the first place. 
to to really get to the meat of an idea that you either think is wrong or haven't thought of before. So you get to learn something almost no matter what. It's it's a win 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 for you even if it's a dumb idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is super key in more high stakes conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, which I wouldn't recommend having high stakes conversation with strangers. It does <laughs> doesn't tend to tend to go well. But um, <laughs> who did you vote for last year? <laughs> don't start with that. Um, how fast can you run is also not a great uh, question to start off with but um, yeah there, there's just so many ways to interact and so many cool things that pe- the people around you do that you don't know about that you can know just by kind of asking mm-hmm. um, one of my one of my favorite sort of things to get to know somebody is what do you do for fun mm-hmm. what is what is your free time pastime fun thing mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. Um, and if there isn't one, I become somewhat sad, but also have an understanding of the type of lifestyle they have mm-hmm. if they don't have time for a hobby or haven't found one. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 you always gain some information. You can always get those sort of innocent probing questions to, to dig a little deeper into what someone's doing. I think there's also uh, in, in desiring to have good conversations with people, I think that there's also... The next step of this, which is learning what kind of conversations you don't want to have, you know, I, I have never, (laughs) and and it's, I I grew up doing speech and debate in high school, uh, actually just for my senior year, but I was, I was in those kinds of crowds a lot. You know, the, the groups of people that are really passionate about government and politics and views and also as a Christian theology and Calvinism and all that fun stuff. Ooh, fun stuff. And I have I have never had a conversation based off of the 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 foundation of do we agree with this or not? Uh and I'm trying to think of how to word this carefully because I don't want to miscommunicate something here. But I've had a lot of idea fleshing out kinds of conversations or oh i want to learn about what somebody thinks and see if i agree with it or not kinds of conversations and none of those i walk away from feeling fulfilled none of those i walk away from feeling like oh that was a very good use of my time <laughs> like there, there's there's and, and not to say that i don't think there's a place for those kinds of conversations because i think there is as you're you know learning about things it I might need to backtrack on this because I think that I'm, as as I'm hearing myself say it, I think that it, I'm communicating something I don't want to communicate. But there's there's a different vibe of a conversation that you can have when discussing a topic that is unfamiliar or that you have questions about. I, I recently had a conversation with a group of people and the guy who was talking was, was talking about his perspective on pacifism, which, you know, growing up in a gun-toting you know, Republican group is not something that uh, has been, it's been a pretty one-sided conversation with most of the people that I interact with up to this point. And so hearing him talk about it was absolutely fascinating because for one, I have a tremendous amount of respect for this guy. And two, he came at it from a, with a different conclusion than I think a lot of people that I know have have drawn but with the same heart and the same intentions and the same desire for goodness i think that both both perspectives come from and i think that that's what i'm really trying to say is 
<laughs> you know, you, you may not get very far talking with, uh, I might have to backtrack that one too. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, but it, it's very difficult. I, I found it very difficult to have a good conversation when it feels like the heart and the desires are coming from two completely different desire, sides of the spectrum. But I don't want to discount that kind of conversation as worthless either because I think that both sides, no matter how far away you're coming from, may have quite a few things to learn from one another. But I think that in the way that I've traditionally approached those kinds of conversations, there's just such a much, a much, much better way to go about doing that. Yeah. To me, it almost sounds like you're you're identifying this thing, which I've also identified and kind of explained a little differently, which is there's a defensiveness to disagreement. Right, right. Uh-huh. And as soon as you realize you disagree on something, the demeanor of the person changes. Mm-hmm. And I hate that because mm-hmm. I'm, well, I'm not that way. But also, that is when you start learning things. Mm-hmm. And to have a defensive reaction that shuts down your active thinking because you're going, oh, we disagree. This mm-hmm. is now a dangerous conversation. Really shuts down being able to learn from that other perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens on both ends. Not only the curious person, but also the right. person being defensive. Curious. I like that word because I think that that's what it is. The heart of curiosity is what carries those kinds of conversations. Because as soon as it shifts to something where it's like, oh, I can't wait to get my word in, which those are the com- kinds of conversations that I'm thinking about. You know, oh, I need to explain how I feel about my political views and this, that, and the other. That's that's when I feel like a conversation becomes absolutely worthless. But the kinds of conversations that I have had around topics that I disagree on with people are ones that it, it, I think that this is, you know, Jocko Willing's extreme ownership. A lot of this is to do with my perspective on it, too. But when I have the attitude of I'm curious about how they drew these conclusions and I have a, a level of respect for this person, which I think is appropriate no matter the person you're dealing with. <laughs> you know, I think that that is when a conversation flourishes. flourishes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think conversation, again, it's kind of a dance of, it's kind of like a brain dance. Mm-hmm. Where you're 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 probing a little bit, you're trying to understand what what this other person is about, mm-hmm. as well as trying to understand what can I learn, what what perspectives are the same, what are different, and it, there's so much you can learn from a simple conversation that is almost baffling how, how much people will say to to just someone they met, um, and sometimes people will say more to somebody they have never met than somebody they've known all their life. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's always fascinating to be in that position of not only hearing sometimes deeper things than your conversation you have with your friends from strangers, mm-hmm. but also you can you can kind of explore newer things with a stranger as well. Because once you get out of that bubble that you either grow up in or mm-hmm. your friendships tend towards one way or the other, you can actually begin to understand the people who disagree with you better. And I think it's immensely important to understand people who disagree with you. I'm the type of person who gets excited as soon as we start to disagree on things because I'm like, oh, there's so many things I can learn now. Mm-hmm. We don't just agree. I can actually explore this and, and figure out why my conclusions may be wrong. Mm-hmm. And to to me, it's really important to always check your mental model of not only what you think and what you believe against what other people are saying to go like, does that is that something I've already addressed? But also to constantly adapt that model if you're 
trying to answer a question they have to what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So they can always be like, okay, this is the frame of reference they seem to be coming from. Here's how I can use that frame of reference to explain better what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, An example is um, I was talking with uh, somebody who uh, actually might have been my brother because he went to, to piloting school for a little bit. And so I was talking about him and I was able to use these sort of piloting flying analogies that I normally can't use because mm-hmm. it requires some sort of technical knowledge of what it's like to fly an aircraft um, to actually explain a topic really, really well mm-hmm. because I knew that he'd had that training and experience. And so if you can understand the job of somebody, you can sometimes use that job experience or what you know of it to explain a concept in a very relatable way. And that's mm-hmm. an immensely valuable tool in not only explaining your position, but also in understanding the position of somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand the not only your own frame of mind, but also try and build out the frame of mind of the person you're talking to as mm-hmm. best you can. Be perfectly fine with being wrong, though, because mm-hmm. people are a lot more complicated than mm-hmm. just the the little pillars you may, you may stand up on what they think. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a time when you've engaged a, a stranger with a, in that kind of conversation? So there's one time that I can remember remember that it went poorly, hmm. uh, and that was when Tell I was uh, 11. No. Uh, <laughs> so so a while ago. So quite might, a while ago. Might have learned a couple things since then. I have learned most of the things I've <laughs> talked about since then. But I was talking with this dude, and we were both... I was on vacation at a fossil dig site, and we were both uh, next to each other, breaking apart fossils and looking through the rocks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were both talking about science and stuff the whole time, and talking about like World War II tanks, which I was kind of interested in at the time. And um, we, we eventually came to this sort of global warming thing, and that's mm-hmm. back when there was a big scare of, like, we got three years, <laughs> Al Gore type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I was very much like, I'm not sure I believe that. And he got very offended. Mm-hmm. And this is like a, I, I would say he was like 53 year old guy. So I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. <laughs> that, is, but... that, is, that is quite the uh, unique conversational framework that you don't, <laughs> you don't experience very often. No. An 11 and a 53 year old talking about science, World War II and global warming. <laughs> yeah. I was an interesting kid. Um, <laughs> But we were talking about it, and I, I, the the conversation ended decently well, but mm-hmm. it was it was a disagreement, and I wasn't necessarily used to that at eleven, mm-hmm. running into a lot of those. And he was basically going like, "But there's so many things going wrong that we do have to address." And I was like, "I think we do. I'm just not sure we have the cause identified correctly." Mm-hmm. And so it was it was an amicable enough conversation. It was a little, you know, it was passionate because mm-hmm. we had different frames of view. And the, the only, the, the point he was trying to make is that this is a serious problem because looking back on it now, I think the thing he was kind of thinking I was thinking was, oh, this is a person who doesn't believe that climate change is real and everything's mm-hmm. going to be fine and that's bad and that's going to lead us all to being burned alive, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the thing that has been being used to scare people for quite a while now. Whereas that wasn't really my frame of mind at all. And my frame of mind was just, I, I do think we could have a serious climate issue in mm-hmm. the future, mm-hmm. but I don't think the markers we're looking at are indicating that in the timeline we're saying. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that those markers are the the markers we should be looking at to predict this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was it was me basically saying, I'm not sure we're measuring correctly, and him saying, you're going to get us all killed. And <laughs> so that's the sort of disagreement now looking at it is like, oh, okay. But I did. De- I definitely didn't think that at the time. Mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh, weird." 
I thought I was being perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. But now I, it, it took some thinking about it to go like, oh, oh, I completely understand this reaction now. Mm-hmm. So rewind time. All the lessons you have now. <laughs> and let's say that you're able to articulate that effectively to him. And his response is kind of the same, at least initially. How would you approach that again in a way that uh, might potentially have a better outcome knowing that it does take two, you know? Yeah. The The way I would change what I was saying is mostly that I, I didn't, I failed to state that I agreed with him, basically. Mm-hmm. Because I failed to recognize where I agreed, mm-hmm. which is now a pretty endemic step to my approach to more divisive conversations now Mm -hmm. is making sure that I state somewhat for them and somewhat supplementary to them what I believe their stance is so that then they can correct me if I'm wrong Mm -hmm. and also I can adjust things accordingly if they agree to basically go, okay, so this is where you're coming from. These are my holdbacks from that. But we fundamentally do agree that these are the issues mm-hmm. um, because it can be really easy to miss each other when you both think are thinking of different issues. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to have this kind of head bashing conversation where as soon as you resolve one thing, somebody just brings up another thing to be right and saying, mm-hmm. ha, the thing you just said doesn't compensate for this other thing that was unrelated <laughs> to the conversation, mm-hmm. um, which is very easy to fall into if you don't kind of set the um, parameters mm-hmm. of your topic. And so one of the things I would have done is just kind of lay out, like, I I agree there are climate issues. I agree that we could have a catastrophe like this. I think where we disagree is the fact that I don't think that that's as impending as you're saying. And I don't think that the resources you're using are accurately portraying that timeline. Mm -hmm. I think there are some other evidence that I have seen, which I'll get into, that seems to indicate that these numbers are either wrong or being misapplied. And that would have been a better foundation to that conversation than what I did when I was 11. Mm-hmm. But but I think that's a better way of sort of coming together and stating neutrally the stances so that people can choose to engage with that instead of engage with you. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're kind of shunting the conversation into a conversation about that idea, mm-hmm. insulated from other things, instead of a conversation about your belief and my belief. Mm-hmm. So you're impersonalizing it. Mm-hmm. So that you can explore it in a non in a, in a non high stakes conversation, essentially, mm-hmm. and I think that does help de escalate things. If you have a person who can disassociate their opinion, mm-hmm. right? From that. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It probably takes a unique kind of person to be able to have and reciprocate that kind of conversation too. Yes, and so it's always kind of a risk to to not only engage in those conversations, but it's also a bit of a risk on both ends to to attempt it. Because it's not necessarily an easy mode of conversation, but it is probably one of the best modes of getting accurate information out of both people because neither of you are feeling threatened by the conversation. Mm -hmm. You can come away from it and you're essentially just stating your opinions and then you can think about them later, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think has always been a better way of doing, of having a tangible goal for a debate. It's not to get the person to admit that you're right, but to put the questions out there for the person to think about. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's what most like modern debate forums kind of do. They don't really reach any conclusions. It's just two mm-hmm. people with two opinions saying their opinions at each other and putting the questions out there. And maybe to take it even a level deeper, instead of bringing up questions that they can think about, finding questions from them that you can think about. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that is, that is what makes a 
a fascinating conversation to think about later. That's yeah. what makes a fascinating thing to talk with friends about and be like, hey, help me pick this apart. This guy brought up some really good things. And th this is what I thought all along. But this new information is really kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, and there's new things being discovered all the time. So mm -hmm. it shouldn't be surprising that you don't know something. Mm -hmm. Even in a field you're like, even have expertise in, there's mm -hmm. always stuff coming out. So like the, the biggest kind of hurdle in using this mindset I have found is you kind of have to set your pride aside on knowing things mm -hmm. and be willing to be dumb. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're not willing to be dumb, you're not willing to learn from other people. That That's kind of the, the long and short of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To to reel us back a little bit into the whole community aspect of communication, I, I like that you brought up the Mayberry Barbershop <laughs> picture because that's that's what I love. You know, that's that's what I feel like is the goal of talk with your barber, talk with the people that are in front of you, engage people in conversation, ask good questions, have the correct attitude in the conversations that we have that may be a little bit controversial. I think that that is all for the goal of being able to participate in a community of people where you belong. And with, I mean, the world's a lot bigger than Mayberry right now. Um, but I think that there is still a way to conduct yourself in a manner that facilitates interactions that strike at the heart of what people long for when it comes to community and conversation. And so... Yeah, that, that gets me fired up. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish we could go back to mm -hmm. that sort of environment again, because it's just, it's so nice. It's so wholesome. Like, I want to be able to talk about things with my barber and not feel like I'm going to get shanked later for having the wrong opinion. So, yeah. Well, that has been episode 10. 10! 10! 10! of the Brain Train Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, tune in or just look at some of our other episodes. We've talked about quite a few things now. Ten other things, to be Do exact. It. Do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, have a great day, and peace. Peace. Peace.